0: So look on your worship guide. Once this is up there, you can look here, open up your Bibles. But we are continuing in Ephesians 2, and today we're going to look at verses 18 through 22. Ephesians 2, 18 if it doesn't work, I'll come back. through 22. Okay, very good. Spencer, are you ready?
1: Yeah, that's great. All right, okay. we're going to read uh, a little f- more 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 a little f- more full, uh, the, the full context here, starting in 13, and then we'll pick up in 18. So verse th- 13 starts like this. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile both God, uh, us both to God in one body through the cross, Thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to us who are far off and peace to those who are near. Verse 18. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together in the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And this is the word of God.
0: All right. If you will, give that microphone to Sam. And thank you for reading that for us. Church, let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time before we jump into our message. Father, this is your word. And as... We are told from scripture, all scripture is God-breathed. Lord, it's the word of God and it's the gospel truths that we need more than anything else. Lord, anyone who stands behind a podium on a Sunday morning speaks lots and lots of words. And Father, I pray that my words would fall to the ground, but that which is anointed and directed by you for this body would remain. And that your word would change us. That we would see things in the gospel that we had forgotten or that we had never seen before. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so by way of review, we're going to have a short review before we jump in. And Spencer just read this passage. So if you'll remember, last week we were told that we need to remember. The church of Ephesus was told that they need to remember. And we as Gentiles were told that we need to remember that we were, and the phrase was, separated from Christ. There was this word alienated from the blessings of Israel and that we were strangers to the covenants of God and it, it painted a picture of what that meant and it, it says that we were without hope. We had no hope and we were without God in the world. I mean what a bleak message if we would have just stopped there yet as was the case in verse number four where we read these two words but God. We were dead in our sins, but God, likewise, we saw another but verse in verse 13, and it said this, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you, that's us, who were once far off, we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We're Gentiles in this room. So that is astonishing and it's amazing that we were brought near and it's another angle of the gospel that Paul is helping us to see in Ephesians 1 and 2 and 3 as we look at our position from a heavenly peripheral perspective of what salvation is. We also talked about this shalom of God, this peace of God where these walls of hostility that Spencer just read, they just they break between us and Jews, between us and God himself. And then lastly, we were reminded that each part of this book, it flows together. There are fours, and there are therefores, and they all flow together because they're painting a picture of this glorious gospel. You can't understand verses 18 through 22 unless you back up and and read the preceding, you know, passages, and so on and so forth. And that's going to continue today, and it's going to continue throughout the whole book. And Today, once more, here it is, Adam Stein, wherever you are, it will be dripping with gospel. It's going to be, and it's going to be good. So today, we're going to be looking at the fact that we are now citizens of God's kingdom, we are members of God's family, and we are stones in God's temple. And we'll break each one of those down. And if you look at the passage that we just read, these ones that you see in red That's what you're going to see. So we're going to look at access. We're going to look at citizenship. We're going to look at the household of God. We're going to look at the word cornerstone. And then lastly, this dwelling place where God himself dwells by his spirit. Okay, that's where we're going. One more word of introduction before we actually dig into the passage. I want you to make note of this construction or building theme that flows throughout Okay. We said that the first three chapters, again, it's the gospel over and over, but there's different angles and there's different metaphors that are used. Listen to some of these. Here we go. This is what you're going to hear this morning. Access, household, built, foundation, cornerstone, structure, dwelling place. They're each building to something pardon the pun. And we're going to see that God is building to this magnificent church, his holy temple. And in week number one, we talked about like the Eiffel Tower, how it was magnificent, right? This is going to be magnificent as well. When we finish it, we're going to look at it and hopefully we will be astounded. Psalm 127 and one says that unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. And we need to see that God himself is building. He's building his kingdom. He's building his church. He's building a holy temple. And we, possessing the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, we have a part in that. And if we can get a glimpse of that this morning, it will forever change our lives. Okay, let's jump in. So let's look at the first verse. Verse number 18. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father access access not long ago cameron he's our deacon of church operations he's back in the back And we've got the redstone office that's above the coffee company and he came in and put in this fancy little doorknob and it's got these little buttons and everybody's got a code that they can get into the office with through these buttons so this past monday we had sermon prep and a couple of the jokers came in and they looked at the doorknob and they started like putting in numbers to see if they could get in and you know what happened Access denied. They were not allowed in. Okay, so there's this word access. It's prosagoge. That's the word that's in the Greek and it means bringing to. It's freedom. It's a right to enter. Remember last week I ended the sermon. I said this whole peace of God thing, Romans 5.1 is a great summary. Okay, Romans 5.2 actually has this prosago gay word. So I'm going to go back and I want to read Romans 5, 1 and 2 together because I want you to see it. Just listen to this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. So there's what we discussed last week. Therefore, we have been and therefore we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse number two, and here it is. Through him, we have also obtained access. That's the prosago gay. That's the word access. It's a right or a freedom to enter or access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So noticing in this passage the past tense that have been, we have been, and we have peace. Because we have been justified, we now have peace. Because what he has done We have been justified. We now have present tense peace and we have access to him and we have access to his grace. So we're going to look at this word access and we're going to look at some of the ways that it is applied. Okay. So first for us to understand access before we get deep into the passage, I want to say this. Access begins with Jesus and Jesus alone. This is a gospel moment. We have lots of people that come in here on a weekly basis. We're having lots of conversations with individuals about the gospel. And if we're going to talk about access, we need to understand that Jesus is our access. Look at these verses with me. This is John 10, 7, and 9 says, I am the door, the access to the sheep, says Jesus. John 14, 6, I am, wrong reference on there, it's 14, 6, I am the way or the access, the truth and the life says Jesus. Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name where there is access under heaven given among men by which we we must be saved. I mean, this probably goes without saying to individuals that have been in the church their whole lives, but we live in a world where there's lots of different doors into heaven, and to salvation that are being preached. And that is contradictory to what the word of God says, The Word of God is so clear, and it's not popular, but it is our truth number one for the day. Truth number one, there is no access to God, no access to the church, no access into heaven apart from Jesus. He and he alone is the only way that we can be saved. He is our point of access. We'll talk about specifically how that relates to him as being the cornerstone, the building block, in a moment. But understand, there's no way that we can be saved apart from Jesus Christ. Everything that we see in the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. He alone is our access. Okay, he's not a door, he's the door. He's not a way, but he is the way. He's not a name, he is the only name. So let's continue. Remember how last week we also talked about how, and we saw it a moment ago, the Gentiles were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers. Well, all of that is getting ready to get turned on its head, and it's going to be glorious. So let's continue with the passage. Look at verse number 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Citizens. No longer refugees, no longer strangers, no longer aliens. Now we have, and it's better than the SAMS card or the Food City card or anything else, we have a citizenship card into. The grace of Christ and into the kingdom of God. And at the time of this writing, citizenship was a big deal, especially if you were a Roman citizen, because there was this, this umbrella of protections and benefits and immediate access that you received if you were a citizen. And you can, you can read that in Paul's writing, writings because he was a citizen of Rome, and that umbrella was coveted. So this citizenry, you know, um, word, this, this word citizenship, it really meant something to these people. They understood the benefits that were there. The same holds true for us today. You know, in America, you know, if you're a citizen, that's a big deal. I mean, don't get me wrong. You can still be dead. You can still not have a photo ID and not have a picture and you can still vote. But still, citizenship is still important, you know. But if you were a citizen of Rome, you were the envy of the world because it was an affluent society. And having that citizenship card meant a lot. So the readers of Ephesus in this letter, they understood this access through citizenship. It comes just as one of the blessings of Jesus' followership. And it is in the kingdom of God. And you are a citizenship. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. Okay, so when you hear things like that, you know, you're a citizen. Because of Christ, you're a citizen. Sometimes people in circles like this, because of a struggle with sin because I haven't been a Christian very long, and I don't know everything about the Bible, because I've had a really rough week, because there's this stronghold in my life, or what have you, you may say, that sounds really good, but I sure don't feel like a citizen of the kingdom of God. This is why we meet. This is why we encourage one another with these gospel truths over and over and over, because if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, No matter how you feel about that, if you have said, Jesus, you are my Lord and you are my Savior, I commit my life to you, I will follow you all of my days. No matter how you feel, no matter what struggles that you might still have in your life, no matter how long you've been a believer, you need to understand and take this and put it in your pocket. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And if you don't believe that, you'll continue to struggle over and over and over. These are gospel truths. So that takes us to truth number two the once separated, that's all of us, alienated, that's all of us, strangers without hope and without God, because of Christ, we are now citizens of God's kingdom. It's glorious. It needs to sink in because we hear it too quickly and and we're like, oh yeah, that's great, and we move on. So allow that to sink in. And the good news is it doesn't stop there. It actually gets better. Look at verse number 18. For through him, we both have access, there's our word, in one spirit, notice this word, to the Father. The Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Access to the Father, members of the household of God. It's one thing to have Access because I have a citizenship card, it's another thing to be a part of the family of God. So, Paul is taking us from citizenship to a much more personal place, which is the family unit itself. I think it was in week number one that we discussed how we are adopted into God's kingdom. And we talked about and spent a lot of energy helping us to understand that if you were adopted, you were a child of God forever and he 's continuing that theme here, and he 'll continue throughout the rest of the Ephesians, for example, in three fourteen he 's going to use the word family again, and in five one he 's going to remind us that we are to imitate God as beloved children okay so again, this takes access to the kingdom and access to the Father to a whole different level because family is the most important personal and intimate institution ever created by God to help us understand our relationship with him as our Lord and as our Father. This passage states that we have access to the Father. It's incredible. Remember on Easter Sunday, we said this veil that was there in the temple, it was torn from the top to the bottom. And we go to Hebrews and we see that this veil represented separation between sinful man and holy God. And Jesus in the middle is torn for us so that we would have access. And Hebrews says that we could actually come before his throne with confidence and full assurance of faith. It's incredible. I remember when I was the head of school for, you know, many years, there would be times that I would be meeting with a board member or I would be working on some important report or I would be in a finance committee meeting, which was the absolute least favorite meeting of my whole month. And it would be important. You know, there was times it wasn't important, but there were other times this was important. And one of the ladies at the front would say, Hey, are you able to see a visitor right now? It's like, no, I got board members around me. I can't, you know, who is it? Tell them, I'll get back with them after this meeting. That would happen a lot but oftentimes they would say, it's your daughter. Every single time that they would say, it's your daughter, I would say, send her on back. And I would stop the meeting and I would go find out what's going on. Point of clarity, it was always a daughter. It was never the son. There was one son, because for 13 years, he made it his goal to never see me in the same school building, much less come to the office looking for me. But the daughters would, and I would stop what I was doing and I would see them why why would they have immediate access when no one else did it's this family simply changes the rules of access do you see that it changes everything I'm like this is a finance committee meeting Colby's out there okay fellas I'll be right back and they just knew I needed to find out and it was normally hey dad I just wanted to say hi right (laughs) or you got five dollars or can I go home with Kayla or whatever you know, but, tr- but truth number three is this. Though once separated, there we are again, separated, alienated, strangers, without hope and without God. Pause. Receive it. It's coming to us. Because of Christ Jesus, we are now members of God's family. We, not just the church of Ephesus, but we have family access. The curtain has been torn from top to bottom, and I've said this a lot, and sometimes I confuse people when I say it, so I don't mean to do that, but I know I've said it 10 times in the past year. The greatest benefit of being a Jesus follower is not just the fact that we get to go to heaven, that that is amazing, and the fact that our sins are forgiven. It's the fact that we, as sinful people, can have a relationship with the God who spoke everything into existence. That we could not just know about him, that we could know him. And that we could have conversations with him. That we could go to our knees and cry out, oh, Father, I need you right now. Knowing and believing that in faith that he would hear us. Abba, Papa, Father, do you hear me? And he says, yes, because of Jesus, you can come to me anytime that you want. As I said earlier, sometimes because of our sins, our struggles, our lack of faith, our history, guilt, a stronghold in our life, or the fact that we haven't been a Christian very long, we hear these things cognitively and say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Let me fill in my blank. And if you are new, there are blanks. And if you see these truths up there, there's probably a place in the wor- the uh, worship guide for you to fill them in. OK, um, and you hear that and you're, you're doing your homework and you're getting everything done. But in your heart, you don't believe it. And I don't know how. I wish that there was a pill I could say, now take this pill, everybody swallow it, and then you would see it. I can't do that. But I can give you the word of God. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would illuminate this truth in your heart. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But because the veil has been torn, Jesus says you now have access to the Father. The truth is, if you believe this, you are a child of God. He is your Father. He knows that you will skin your knee. He knows that you will break the vase, that you will steal a cookie out of the cookie jar, and sometimes you will be really, really, really ugly to your sister. He knows those things, but it doesn't have him step in and say, I'm sorry, you are eradicated from the family because you continue to do foolish things. That doesn't make any sense. That's inconsistent with what a family looks like. You are a child of God. Okay, let's continue with the passage because we're going to see one other access point this morning. So look at verse number 20, 20 through 22. Continuing with this thought, it says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Every once in a while when I'm doing sermon preparations and I type something like that, there's these old hymns that just drop into my my soul and I began singing them. And I know it's always awkward, but this is one of them. And you'll know this one. So if you do, just sing it with me. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Y'all sound good, by the way. Um, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. This next part's high. On Christ the solid, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground, sinking sand. I mean, you hear that? That's what we're talking about here. It's the cornerstone of God on Christ, the solid rock. I stand in everything else that I try to plant my feet on, where I find my identity, or maybe I'll find satisfaction, or maybe I'll find happiness, or maybe I'll find joy, or maybe I'll find this peace that we talked about last week. It's sinking sand. It will never, ever, ever satisfy built on nothing but the blood and the righteousness of Jesus Christ and on that solid rock we stand. He's the cornerstone. He's the one that holds it all together. And there's this phrase that if you come to Redstone Johnson City or if you come to Redstone Elizabeth and lots of other churches, you'll hear this a lot. It's this phrase, gospel-centered. Or this these words, gospel-centered. We state that we're a gospel-centered church. We state that our community groups will be gospel-centered community groups. We state that our discipleships, uh, discipleship relationships will be gospel-centered. Um, hopefully, we'll provide gospel-centered counseling. And yesterday or the day before when we were in our retreat, it came up this idea of gospel-centered suffering. Now, there's a topic, you know, for another day. And some of us are actually going through a book right now. It's called Gospel-Centered Eldership. These two words with a hyphen in between them, gospel center, encompass a lot of things. But at its very core, gospel center just means this, that Jesus and his gospel and these gospel truths that we're discussing must be the very foundation of our faith and of this church and nothing or no one else. It means that Christ alone must be the cornerstone. And that anything else, any other program or any other structure that we try to put in place, it's sinking sand. And that's what Paul's saying. In Acts chapter 2, it says that the church devoted itself to the teachings of the apostles. And in this passage that we're looking at right now, it says that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And then the next part says, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. Only one way to heaven, only one way to God, only one door. Likewise, in all of Christianity, all of the teachings of the apostles, all of the teachings of the prophets, all that the church of Christ will and can do must be built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. He has to be the cornerstone. It's the cornerstone that's the starting point for the building. It provides structure, strength, Trajectory and the alignment for every other piece that will follow after it. Do you hear that? So, Jesus is the cornerstone of this temple that he's building, the most important piece. And apart from Jesus, there can be no building, no structure, no strength, no trajectory, no alignment. And all that was taught up until this point and everything that we see in the New Testament points to this gospel and this Jesus Christ who holds it all together. The gospel centeredness, it was the foundation of Redstone Johnson City. I mean, I remember these conversations. We want to be a gospel centered church. And it's the same with Elizabeth. It's one of the key elements, you know, at the very beginning, we must be gospel centered, a serious Jesus is a cornerstone/Jesus fellowship church. And if we try to be anything else, then it will fail. You don't need to be entertained you don't need just inspirational stories. You need the word of God that points to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's the only thing that can change lives. And that's the only thing that is changing lives. And I have a front row seat and I'm getting, getting to see it in a lot of us. And it's amazing and it's astounding. And we can trace every bit of that change back to Jesus and him being the cornerstone. Now here's the next part that's in this passage. And I want you to see it. I want you to listen to it. Okay, and I want you to believe this. So his temple's being built, he's the cornerstone, and then in the passage it says in verse number 22, look at it, in him you, you also, you see that? You also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You also, in other words, you have a part in it. Every part is important. Every part is needed This has 1 Corinthians 12 written all over it. If you want to go have a look. There's no room for I'll just be a stone over here to the other side kind of thinking. Or I am such a small and insignificant stone that I don't really matter. So I'm not really going to be a part of this living, breathing structure. No, 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 a thousand times no. Jesus has called us to be citizens of his kingdom. He has called us to be a part of his family, and he's called us to be a part of this temple that he's building. And he's saying, every one of you are important. The body of Christ does not work without all of its members and without all of its parts. And this is why, kind of a side note, this is why we push for this the word is ecclesia. It's the assembly. It's when people that have Jesus Christ and are followers of Jesus Christ, they come together on a regular basis to confess sins, to worship Christ, to be reminded of the gospel, to take communion, which we will start doing every week again pretty soon. Um, it's all of these things, you know, and, and it co- we come together in person. There's something magical that happens in this space on a regular basis. And every week I go home and I just worship. And I'm just so thankful to be a part of a gospel-centered church with other believers where we can spur one another on. We can encourage one another as long as it's called today. But that happens in person. It doesn't happen with church online. You know, and I'm stepping on toes and I don't mean to. But we need to fight against being comfortable watching church at home. During COVID season, absolutely. When there's sickness, absolutely. You know, when there's like barriers in our lives because of our work, you know, absolutely. There are situations where that absolutely needs to happen. And I'm glad that we have that opportunity. But as soon as we can, as soon as we're able, we need to come back together. Because we need each other under the umbrella of the Spirit of God. Are you hearing me, church? You know, there's a there's a a prod here for all of us do everything that we can to seek first the kingdom and to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And let's prioritize showing up on Sundays and seeing what God has for us. That's what we're desiring. That's what we're pushing toward, because it's magical. Jesus as the cornerstone at the very center, revealing himself to us. So, yes, he reveals himself to the Gentiles as well. Those walls of hostility have been broken. He's called us to be citizens. No special citizens. We're all saints or we're aints. You know, so we all have that card. Sorry, Mike. I know Mike wants to be that, you know, special citizen with the extra little star. But, you know, you're just a saint like all of us, Mike. Um, But we're members of the family. We're all of his children. But also, as we've been saying, truth number four, it'll come up though once separated, alienated strangers without hope and without God, there's the bleak part, because of Christ, we are now stones in God's temple. 1 Peter 2.5 actually refers to us as living stones. Each of us, that means you and that means me. Back to verse number 22. In him, you also being built together, a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. You also, every one of us, every one of us. We were talking yesterday when we were at the retreat, you know, what does it take to just be a part of a Sunday morning worship experience? And that's chairs and that's, you know, it'll be coffee at some point in time. It's, you know, music and it's, you know, kids ministry and hospitality. And we were looking at like, okay, if everybody serves like in maybe two areas, and they serve like once a month or twice a month, how many people does that take? And it was astounding. We're like, oh, wow, we need 80 people just to do Sunday mornings. That was rounded it off. But it was something like that. And it just reminded us that even like coming together on a Sunday morning is important. And for some of you, you know, your ministry is outside of, of this place. You know, it's outside of Redstone. You just need to be able to come on a Sunday morning and hear the Word of God and worship the Lord without being on any of these teams. But if you are available, yeah, we even need you on those teams as well. Okay, continuing, because I'm on a little bit of a rabbit trail. Together, that's all of us, we're all apart, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, a dwelling place for God to reside within individuals and to reside amongst individuals that are His followers by the Spirit of God. This is a holy, holy thing that we're a part of. This isn't an Elizabethan against Science Hill football game, though that's magical, you know, I'm sure. You know, this is different though. This is the Spirit of God showing up to speak truths to the people of God for the purposes of furthering the kingdom of God and he says and everyone who is following me is a part of that so I have a message for you as well I mean we hear this again we hear it quickly we don't let it sink in but this is why in chapter one over and over and over Paul would say these things and then he would just stop and he would say to the praise of his glorious grace and that's what he's calling us to do in this passage as well to the praise of his glorious grace He's called us. He's speaking to us. A few more words, and then I'm going to close. Everything in the Old Testament, the prophets, the law was pointing to and building to this one moment. Everything that Jesus was teaching about was building to and pointing to this one moment. It's the you know, crescendo. It's the pinnacle. You know, this is, this is the climax, seeing the church of the living Christ being built by Jesus' followers who have the spirit of Jesus within them and where the spirit of God dwells amongst them. A dwelling place for God by his spirit. I just want you to see it. That's why I keep saying it over and over. I want you to see it. I want it to sink in. The living, breathing church of the once dead but now fully resurrected Savior building his church with him alone as the cornerstone, the head of the church dwelling within us and amongst us. It is magnificent. It is amazing. I do love this passage. I love Ephesians. I do love this church and I do love what Jesus is doing. But I just want us to sit in it. And as I said last week, These truths, we fill in the blanks, we talk about them. It's not just academic. This isn't just for a cognitive understanding of what Jesus is doing and who he is. This is a direct message to you, Jesus follower. And it should cause us to remember these truths and to respond to these truths. By confessing our sins, by recommitting ourselves to him or and or to saying, oh God, you really are an amazing God. You are my father and I can come to you and that is enough. My identity is in you because I'm loved by the creator and that is enough. God remind me of that as I step into this week because my heart really wants to please people more than it wants to please you. And I need to be reminded that I am loved by the father and that that is enough. Cognitive understanding isn't enough. It needs to sink into our very, very hearts. And for some people that are watching online, you know, or that are showing up on a regular basis and they find themselves here today still alienated, separated from God, without hope, without true peace, not a citizen, not a part of the family of God, not a stone being used by the master builder, my encouragement is friends you don't have to stay there he bids you to come he opens the door he invites you in there's nothing that can ever satisfy like the truths of being loved by Jesus and being forgiven by him he is the point of access he wants to be your father as well so if that is you if you say I hear these things but I know that I'm still separated. I've been in church my, my whole life, but I really don't believe these things and I've never committed my life to the Lord. My, my encouragement is, friend, you don't have to stay there. You can confess your sins. Everyone, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Let us know, let me know, fill out a connect card, come see me or someone else that you know after the church, after the church service, and we will just walk you through and explain this glorious gospel to you. Summary, access, fellow citizens, family members, living stones with the temple of God, within the temple of God, where God himself dwells. These are amazing truths. This is an amazing gospel. And my prayer as we close is that these things that we've heard, some of them repetitively, that they'll sink in and that we will respond in praise and worship and adoration to God. Let's just be still for a few moments. Lord, I won't sing it, but it is true that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus's blood and righteousness. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand and I stand as a church. Or sometimes we go too quickly through a teaching and through a passage. Lord, I just want to be still and allow your spirit to move amongst us and to speak to us. Have your way with us. Just cry out to him in this this moment. Lord, many of us showed up this morning not feeling like citizens of the kingdom of God. Not feeling like children of the king of the universe. Not feeling that we are a part of this living temple that's being built. Lord, so just remind us of these truths and change us both for today and forevermore that we might truly internalize this glorious gospel and then in our hearts and with our mouths that we would say to the praise of his glorious grace. In Christ's name we pray, amen.